The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Dietary Requirements, the spin-off's food podcast. We like to hang out with the most interesting people in the New Zealand hospitality scene and talk about the environmental, social, political implications of what we eat. Uh, my name is Simon Day and I am joined as always by the spin-off's food editor, Alice Neville. Kia ora, Alice. Kia ora, Simon. And food boss, Sophie Gilmore. Welcome. Kia ora, Simon. For the entire month of August, Visa Wellington on a Plate is serving up incredible culinary experiences and we're really excited to be partnering with them in the lead up to the festival and then as an official event uh, on the programme. You can catch Dietary Requirements live in action on August 15, 3pm to 5pm at Parrot Dogs Lyle Bay Brew Bar. Uh, we'll be talking to the Mats from Parrot Dog about their 10th birthday, how you survive in uh, the craft beer game for that long, and then speaking to some of the city's uh, most exciting hospitality owners, uh, personalities, characters about what the future of the industry look, could and should look like. Please come and join us, and please participate in the festival as much as you can. There are some incredible events across the month. Visit visawoap.com to plan your Visa Wellington on a Plate experience for 2021, which leads us to our guest today. Carlo Buenaventura uh, is an iconic uh, Auckland hospitality personality. You will have seen him on both sides of the pass at a number of fantastic spots um, around the city, but most recently you'll be able to find him at Bar Magda in Cross Street in the central city, uh, where he is back on the tools in the kitchen. Welcome, Carlo. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, yeah. Hi, guys. Hi. <laughs> is it exciting to be in the kitchen? Yes, very much so. Long time coming, and you know, can't be uh, very. I'm um, very grateful to be back. When was really. the last time you were cooking? Was that cold project? Um, well, yeah, the cold project, but I've always been in the kitchen actually, just doing like some, some catering work, just yes, to right. keep, keep me sort of grounded. So, normally, I do that even when I was managing Jamaisi. Sometimes I'll do like morning, early morning shifts 
for catering companies like 4 a.m. to like 10 and then do the bookings at gymnasium. Should we go all the way back to the start to to your to your whakapapa? So where um where does your family originally come from? So Philippines. So I grew up in and I was born and raised in the Philippines in Davao, Mindanao, the bottom south um, of the country. Um, my family were originally from up north, but their families um, moved down south. So that's where I grew up. And then my career started in hospitality in the Philippines as well for about two years. And then I moved to New Zealand out of just curiosity of traveling, really. When was that? That was 2010. Right. Yeah. Trying to get um, sort of um, work placements um, initially in the US or Guam or Singapore, but ended up in, in, in New Zealand. So like kind of accidentally ended up here? Yeah. Well, I wanted to leave. I was in that mentality of I want to do it now. And I couldn't wait like six months or a year when they were like, oh, you have to wait for a little bit because you don't have an opening till six months or a year. And then it was like, oh, but there's in New Zealand. I was like, all right, I'll take it. And are you a resident now? Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a Kiwi now, actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lucky old New Zealand. That's yeah. so yeah, good. So no, you no, almost didn't come. No, and you've, um, where have you worked in, in New Zealand? New Zealand. So I first started working uh, when I was in Queenstown uh, at Crown Plaza. That was for about over two years. And then I moved to Wellington at Matterhorn. Cooking? Um, yes. Yeah. At, at, at Matterhorn. Uh, and that was both under Dave Verhol and then uh, Jimmy Pask, who I'm doing the event with at, um, at, Cinder, at Cinders. Um, so this is the Wellington uh, on, when it, on yes, a plate event that we will get to in a, in a yeah, minute. So that, that was the one. I did a short stint before at Foxglove, um, just covering a head chef gig there before for a few months, just before I moved to Auckland and uh, worked at Orphan's Kitchen. So that was technically like my last sort of proper restaurant kitchen gig, um, like, you know, in that sort of sense. And then after that, I moved on doing um, floor and kitchen at Burger Burger. Um, mm. That was actually for a good couple of years, too, which was really great. It really exposed me to a different side of hospitality. Been so used to um, just a, your t- atypical sort of um, smart, casual or upscale sort of restaurants and being in a more fast paced that was a really interesting sort of learning curve for me and then I did after that I did mostly floor um, at Culprit and then Jamezi Street and also Love Bucket and then last one was um, I did a short stint at Hotel Ponsonby because I'm good mates with cats so how come yeah. you you do you mix it up do chefing and front of house that's, that's kind of rare right I think it's quite important, um, not only if you want to, not, not just if you wanted to um, start a business, but, you know, if, if hospitality is, is a career that you want to pursue. Um, it's quite interesting. This was actually this one incident when I was at Matterhorn. I had just started running the pass. I think it was like my first, second week. And then one of the senior wait staff asked me, like, hey, could you plate it on a smaller plate? And I was like, no, I can't because this is what the chef had. And, you know, this is how we plate. This is how the chef wants it. My first day, Sunday, da, 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 and I didn't want to um, make any changes. You know, I was just trying to sort of follow, like, you know, be a, technically I was quite a robot back then as well. Like, you know, I wasn't really thinking, like, right. And then my matron, she was just listening. She just listened the whole time. And at the end of the shift, she just told me, well, you know, you weren't wrong and she wasn't um, wrong either, but it would be good for you to see what she meant. And like, tiny when, table, no room for the plate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, but like, um, but but for me, I was like, what? You know, I was like, 
surely that should that should fit. And then we were having staff drinks. I told her, I told Jess, like, hey, I'm kinkling in front of house if you know if there's space. And she's like, yeah, you can. And then I that was actually my first proper sort of front of house gig when I was at Matterhorn. So on my days off, I'd come in, um, do floor shifts for them, and then she would teach me. She put me in a section, and that's when I had a much better understanding. Okay, sweet, that's what they meant. It's not just the plates; it's also like you know, cutlery plates, water glasses, cocktails, and if they want to have wine with a cocktail, so it's just fills up the room and understanding when, you know, when chefs totally. would be like, I'll just call it away. They should be ready. I like, now I know, like, no, nah, they're not ready. I just yeah. have to sort of, like, you know, find a way to communicate in front of house team and be like, hey, can you ask them if they are done and if they're ready for the next course so we can start sending? Otherwise, mm. we won't be able to turn the tables. Otherwise, it's or, a shit show for everyone involved. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so and that's that's where, when I sort of really learned um, the other perspective, the other perspective, and then just gave me a, a better idea of how I wanted to manage myself and also manage a team, you know, and also seeing that like yeah, front of house does also work hard, you know, it's just a different um, type uh, of work, type of work, type of stress, you know, the the amount of um, mental stress that a front of house person um, gets is actually quite draining because you are facing like hundreds of people, different personalities. And yeah, you it's have like to, you're an actor. The show must go on, yeah, you know? and you're dealing with them one-on-one. So it's like you have table one, which is a different personality. You have table two, table three, and that's all different sort of um, like mental stress. And it's a lot to sort of actually take on. And so I commend like everyone that's like working in front of house because it is yeah, something you, else. Using that actors uh, metaphor you, you you have to do like eight different characters at the same totally. time yeah. mm. I, I think remember, that's so important um, I think all chefs should have to work in front of house and all yeah. uh, waiters should have to go back and uh, chop some onions and do some prep and mm. debone some salmon and yeah. learn yeah. each other's um, roles a bit more to get that communication down. Yeah. That reminded me of the, um, you know, when Chan Sarawak wrote the open letter to the Prime Minister about yeah. um, calling out industry um, low-skilled. Yeah. And mm. I thought it was really interesting because actually, like you said, there's a huge amount of EQ and energy that goes into making the day of 12 different groups of people at the same yeah. time. Like feeding and watering them is kind of just the like vehicle for what you're actually doing. You're creating a whole experience yeah. for them. And it's, yeah, it's totally different to the technical skill of a chef, but it's also not yeah, it's it's equally as valid, and yeah, I think it is, it's like emotionally draining. Yeah, um, front totally. Of and I think that that like like you say the d- divide, which I think's stupid and a bit old school anyway, between the back of house yeah. and the front of house, it's just a fallacy. Like we're all on the same team, we all want the same result. So you know, like you say, let's work together and understand not just the what but the why we're doing things. So Bar Magda. Uh, has a real Filipino touch to it. Is this the first time you've got to cook with your own sort of style and food? No, actually, at the Cold Project, it's always been sort of um, our style. Um, it started off first with um, Will and I, Will, who I used to work with at Matterhorn and, and the Cold Project, uh, sorry, at Orphan's Kitchen. So it's always our style. Will's like English Kiwi, I'm, I'm Filipino. And so we kind of merged that together. And then when he moved to Canada, I took over the cold project by myself. And so I had a little bit more leeway to showcase my own sort of personal heritage. But it's always been like, yeah, I think... I've Explain been, a little bit of what the cult project was. So the cult project um, is, uh, is, is, is it's, mm. still, it's still going. Like um, 
um, it's a pop-up restaurant. So essentially si similar sort of um, ethos as, as Bar Magda. It's inspired by the seasons, inspired by, you know, who we are now as people in present time. So whatever they probably experienced from 2016, from some of the dishes that they've tried, that was me at 2016. And then whatever, la the last dishes they probably tried, 2021, La Fuente, that was me at, you know, at January 2021. And what people would have tasted now at Bar Magda would, is me at, like, you know, July 2021. So I think that's such an interesting concept. Even for me as a, uh, as a home cook, yeah. my food is such a representation of sort of where I'm at in my life and how I'm feeling and, and where things are going. And I think that's uh, really interesting to be able to watch uh, your personal evolution through your It's like your the food. temperature outside, the, yeah. the articles that you're reading, the restaurants that you're inspired by. It's like all of those things become... You know, like I was just saying um, before that we've got people coming for dinner tonight and they eat plant-based quite a lot. And I was thinking, I texted me like, I think I'm going to make fresh pasta. How do we feel about pork ragu? And they wrote back, they were like, sounds fucking awesome, do it. You know, and it's like, you, it has to be something that you feel like and that it feels like it's a special treat and it feels relevant to today. It's Yeah, yeah. Has to be has to be personal, you know. I think that's um, that's something that people should expect um, when they go to Bar Magda. Is that like um, it is personal, you know. Whatever whatever they sort of see, taste, or feel, it is something that is personal or who we are at that moment in of, of time and place. Um, can I ask a question? Is it typical of your family culture to be so hardworking? Um, Not many chefs on their day off come in and work front of house. Uh, yes, I guess. Well, my, both both my parents um, were quite sort of firm on being um, ambitious. Mm -hmm. Like you know, being ambitious doesn't mean that oh you want to take over the world. It's more like you know what is your ambition for yourself. And I was always brought sort of um, that way. So you know, like my 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 mom and dad always told me that like you know. Um, you have to work hard for what you what you get. Mm. No one's always no one is ever going to hand you over anything to you for free. And, and is it is it true that um, the Philippines has quite high unemployment? Um, yes and no. I mean, like now that there's COVID and stuff, like you see how sort of resilient and sort of creative Filipinos are. Now they're doing this online sort of. They sell online. A lot of a lot of people, a lot of my friends, like they start selling online stuff and whatnot. And mm. so, you know, um, I'm just angling towards now. You're a Kiwi. Can we bag Kiwis a bit? Do you yeah. think that there's a difference in work ethic? I mean, I was uh, speaking to a Filipino yeah. employee recently, and she um, is yeah, has a similar ethos to what you've just said. Like, be grateful for the job. No one has to give you yeah. anything. And I was speaking to her about whether that was um, typical of her family culture. And she said, yeah, absolutely, because there is, um, you know, we know people that don't have jobs and yeah. can't find jobs. Yeah. And so I think it comes from an um, economic um, aspect as well. Like, you know, Philippines is a third world country. Like, I grew up in sort of that um, environment, although like, I wouldn't say, like, oh, you know, I was... Um, I didn't have anything to eat or whatever, or my parents, it wasn't that, but I was exposed to it. I saw mm -hmm. it. So I was always growing up. I was like, I don't want to be in that position. Mm. So I should always remind myself to work hard and at least try harder. Um, mm. And also when I, when I moved here, because I moved here by myself, I was like, shit, I can't get fired. 
I can't lose a job <laughs> totally. because if I lose a job, then I'm how am I going to pay rent? How is hospitality viewed in the Philippines as a career? Is it seen as a viable, like respected career choice? Uh, it depends on which level of hospitality you're in, I mm-hmm. think. Um, but for the longest time, when I first started, um, when I first started uh, culinary, like it wasn't really deemed like the term chef wasn't really used that mm-hmm. heavily. Um, cook. It was more of a cook or a cocinero. Yeah. Like, you know, um, even my grandfather was like outraged. Um, he was like, why? You're doing what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I just finished like nursing. I was meant to go to um, uh, med school. And then he heard um, I went to cooking school instead. And he was like, all the years of studying and you're just going to go in the kitchen. I, I like, mean, you know my mum. And yeah. imagine when I gave out law for yeah. selling chicken. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah, what? Yeah. So you um, trained as a nurse first? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, then, and there's heaps of Filipinos in healthcare here, yes, aren't they? Yes, yes, yeah. mm. yes. Because um, I've, I've, as a kid, I had like a, a lot of sort of different aspirations in life. But like the end goal was always to own a restaurant. Yeah. And then my dad kind of like knocked my head a little bit. Well, if you want to own a restaurant, then... Why, why, why are you t- studying this? You know, right? Like making the money is one thing, but understanding how the industry works and you know how business works—that's different. So you need to learn or work in the industry mm. to actually get into it. And that's when I started. Okay, sweet, I got the blessing from my dad, so yeah. maybe I can switch. Has which your, I did. Has your grandfather tried any of your food and been like, oh, "All right, I understand mm-hmm. now"? Yes, they have actually. Like the first year that I was in in in. Uh, you know, my apprenticeship in culinary, um, I did sort of, I did cater for the family's Christmas party and, you know, um, they had all tried my food and I did like... Um, they still talk about it. You know, yeah, you know, like, uh, so, which is, which is, which is good. Um, and then it wasn't until maybe when I moved overseas and, you know, my, my grandfather realized, oh yeah, you know, like he's making something out of himself, you know, it's not the typical sort of, um, blue, like sort of office job that like, everyone's been sort of accustomed to like you know or mm. what people would normally align what successful uh, profession is i feel like that's just you know? a capitalist thing isn't it we've just it become is. to worship people that are in offices like we get mm-hmm. a lot of um when through bird on away we hired a lot of indian migrants yeah. and they were being like hammered by their parents at home to get a job in an office and like answer phones i'm like yeah. really you know yeah. but it's just the way that we're programmed isn't it yeah it's it's the uniform that like you know that uh, that people mm. see as, as a something prestigious if you wear a suit then it's like it's it's, it's prestigious you know um yeah i think that's the american side of us i think you'll see when yeah. the big law firm booking comes in that you guys are a bit more prestigious on the fun side yeah. than them. <laughs> can can you tell me a little bit about how would you characterize it or explain uh filipino food because for me eating at your restaurant on on wednesday night what stood out was this really interesting uh, relationship between sourness and sharp flavours and quite rich, uh, you know, umami with the the parmesan custard and the fattiness of those lamb ribs um, balanced out with the... um, Oh, what's the green sauce? Uh, the green sambal. The green sambal. Yeah. And, and I find Filipino food quite sweet, and you haven't even said sweet. So I'm yeah. interested in what Carlo's going to say. Yeah, I think, um, well, because I'm from the South, and that's something that I'm, you know, that that's my narrative. That's what I'm representing really mainly in the context of, like, Filipino um, cooking or flavors, um, which is quite un- unrepresented, actually, because a lot of, like, um, the Filipino flavors that people have been accustomed to, not just here, but even the U.S., are your fiesta foods, 
or people that normally um, showcase on parties or big gatherings. Um, but for me, I grew up in the South. There's a lot of like the sourness that you're talking about, those sort of rich umami, um, fresher flavors, because we're a very coastal area. That's where I grew up. So that's why I think that was a dish that you had was a kohlrabi with the coconut um, saffron aioli. So it's a nice sort of contrast between um, creamy with fresh, mm. punchy flavors. Because um, the South is actually um, a mix of a, a very heavy influence of like Indomalay, because it's quite close to Indonesia and Malaysia. And then, of course, having that um, Spanish colony. Um, you get those sort of oh, Spanish yum. Latin flavors there as well. Mm. Um, and then with this American settlement, that's where the sort of um, Parmesan custard comes from, the whole American processed cheese whiz that I yeah. grew up with. So a lot of them are like just, um, again, going back to it's, it's, it's a personal thing. So cheese it's my whiz. personal relationship to, to food and sort of my own sort of food memories that I grew up with. And what's the north? The flavors of the north. What are they like? I guess um, a lot. A lot of it that I've 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 seen or tasted would be you definitely see more of those um, stews, those right. braised, you know, um, like darker sauces as opposed to like really in the south. You, you get that as well, um, but we do cook with a lot of like coconut. A bit fresher. Mm -hmm. um, you do get a lot of those um, spices as well. Um, Is nanam food? From the north, yes, I would. Yeah. I would say their 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 style would be um, more on the northern approach. Although they, they touch base here and there with certain southern um, style cooking, but most of, most of the um, um, flavors that I've seen would be more up north. Like for example, adobo is actually mainly up north, and that's the one that everyone always asks um, every Filipino. How do you cook adobo? Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, I was like, uh, yes and no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Carlos brought in some of the delicious uh, parmesan custard it? for us yeah. and some bread. So we're going to have a really quick break uh, for a snack and we'll be right back. So what I love about that uh, parmesan custard is it's got this crazy, it's kind of trashy. Yeah. But kind <laughs> of real. Cheese whiz. Kind of fancy at the same yeah. time. Cheese in a can, yeah. Yeah, that's the inspiration is that um, the way the American influence has become so popular in, in the Philippines. But it's still got a real highbrow, lowbrow balance to it. And it's How delicious. do you make this? So essentially, it's like, it's like um, making a, a lemon curd. Yeah. But, you know, instead of adding lemon, we add, we add cheese to it and all of the different things. So speaking of Wellington on a plate, uh, you're heading down at the end of August. Yes. To be one of the collaborations with Cinderella. Cinderella's wine bar in the Teatro Valley. And can you tell us about what you'll be doing? Because I, th I love one of my favorite parts of Wellington on a Plate each year is the collaborative chef events. Yes. I love watching the way different uh, chefs influence each other and what it brings out in them. Can you talk about your relationship with, um, with, with Cinderella and, and the plans for uh, the event? Yeah, so this one will be a quite interesting and, and, and fun one for sure because um, uh, James, Jimmy, um, the man behind uh, Cinderella, uh, we used to work together. We were in flatmates at one stage as well. So like we know each other very well. So it'd be nice to sort of come together again and sort of bounce back ideas. I was just on the phone with him actually um, Yesterday, uh, the other day, actually, yeah, um, talking about how we're going to approach the whole um, menu and how we're going to make it like a f more of a full collaboration um, rather than like I do a dish, you do a dish. So he was asking me, um, so what would you like to showcase 
and then we, we can go from there. So the idea is um, we'll probably be showcasing some of the staples at Bar Magda um, and then present them in a slightly different light. So it's not so much of a giveaway. Say if you're, if you're from, from Wellington, you get to try certain flavors, say a sauce, but then you come up to Bar Magda and then you can be like, ah, so this is the whole dish, you know, rather than giving away the whole dish over there. Yeah, just taking something from your restaurant and serving yeah. it again in a different space. Yeah. I, I really love that. And yeah. I think it's something that's become relatively new uh, in the hospitality scene in New Zealand is the idea of chefs sharing visions and um, embracing that potential of collaboration, whereas chefs have previously, you know, can be quite single-minded and, and one-eyed on the way they approach food, and it's been hard to let others in. And yeah. I think it's, a, it's something Wellington does especially well. Yeah. No, it's good. Like, Wellington has a very good sort of hospitality culture. I was, you know, I, I've, I've lived and worked there for, for a few years, so it's quite exciting. And, you know, even um, I need to actually get hold of Lance um, from Cambridge Road because he's one of the collaborators as well. So essentially what's going to happen is we're going to try some of his wines that he wants us to showcase. And then, again, that's uh, another sort of um, game changer there because we have to sort of um, work with the flavors that um, works well with his wines. And that's normally how I actually did like the pop-ups at the cold project was Lance used to send me like his wines or any winemaker. And then from the wines, I write the menu. It's the same format that we did at Bar Magda as well. Um, so we wrote the drinks list first. Wow. Waited for the boys to finish the cocktail list as I was hassling them. I was like, hurry up, hurry huh. up, because I need to write the food menu, finalize this. And then I wrote the wine menu. And then based off that, we, you know, I presented them the, the food menu. So it sits nicely, you know, because then you, in, in a casual setting, you're not really looking for a match, but you're looking for something that is pleasurable all the way around. So... You know, nothing is too offensive or nothing is too sort of sweet for a certain dish or same same vice versa. It so that's, feels really holistic rather than yeah. making decisions based on things that are already done. Yeah. It's about building a really cohesive idea for an entire experience. Yeah. When did you learn about wine? Um, that was, at first was actually at Matterhorn because like the, like the team over there, they always invite me for trainings, you know. Um, but it wasn't really till I worked at Love Bucket. Um, and then, I, of course, Meg was there as well. Uh, we had Meg on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and Meg um, really gave me a lot of insights about wine, um, how to perceive wine, not just as a product, but also as um, an instrument, mm. you know, um, as a tool that you can use to sort of get people engaged in, into a space or into what you're doing. Um, and it was so interesting because I was, that's when I, I had the idea of like, oh, why don't I do, I, I sort of taste the wines first before I write the menu. And Meg was telling me like, actually, that's a good idea because, you know, more often than not, the wine is already there. Like, you know, you have some wines that's already been sitting in the cellar for the last couple of years. The season, like now, winter, it's just happening. Yeah. Produce is just coming up. So if you've tasted the wines and you can be like, sweet, what's in season? Ah, uh, yeah, red cabbage goes with red cabbage, goes with beetroot. Maybe I can make my own ricotta with that one as well. And it kind of changed my perspective of cooking. You know, it made me a lot more patient actually as well of like, sweet, I need to sort of taste certain things first and then see what the season brings and what would be more appropriate. Um, so yeah, that, it, was, it was a love bucket. I, I, was, I was there for about like two years too. So 
having to try all those sort of different wines that we <clears throat> that we had was was great. You She's know? so clever, right? Yeah. It just feels to me like so razor sharp. The yes. it's as though she's tasting something that is completely different to the last thing she tasted, but the it just might be a nuanced difference. You know, like you just train your palate. It's so impressive. Yeah, and also just like um even for me when I when I first started managing um Jamesy Street, um she was actually the one who also sort of gave me advice and sort of like, sweet, how do you price wine, you know, um based on the certain demographic that like say a establishment targeting you know so you don't alienate them so you get them engaged and so she gave me a few sort of um, tips and then when we started opening it up to having um, New Zealand wines she sent out her contacts um, to me and then also introduced me mm -hmm. to them and which is why like I'm very well looked after at the moment as well um, at Bar Magda with like our, our sort of reps and whatnot because nice. through her, so which is which is great. I think she represents something that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast and that skill in translating uh, the kitchen and the wines to the people. Mm -hmm. She's not just got an amazing palate, but she's a Megas a really amazing communicator about food and wine. And wine's got like an elitist kind of reputation, but it and she it breaks down. that right down. Yeah, and um, it's and that's why. Mm -hmm. Hospitality can't be, you know, the front of house hospitality cannot be considered a low skilled job. It's a, it's an art. Oh, not at all. Like you know, like it's it's pretty much um, you're solving problems um, on the go. You know, you don't have a deadline for it. You don't have a week's deadline. You have like you have now. Yeah. Yeah. The table's here. It's about to be turned, and the next booking's arrived. What do you do? Yeah, totally. You have to think. You have to think smart and have yeah. to look so relaxed in front of everyone. Yeah, while that's doing the thing. It's when, well. you're, yeah. when you're panicking, you're like a you know head above water, yeah. and you're just like panicking underneath. Yeah, I I remember um, you know my favorite memories from hospitality is you know doing big fuck ups, but trying really hard to make sure the um, customer never. Knew noticed what about it. That was like the most important thing. Was if no one knows, Just it didn't it. happen, right? Yeah, totally. Hey, what are you feeling the most proud about with Bar Magda? I guess it's the whole space. Um, you know, um, because it does bring everything together into petition. Um, when we saw the space, like. I, I kind of knew that it wasn't just going to be a restaurant and all the sort of little things that I personally felt like that is needed in, say, an establishment, we try to sort of bring it together, um, which is why when, you know, um, the guys really wanted to sort of open a bar, but they also knew that, like, sweet, a bar normally doesn't have um, service around 7 to 9. It's normally, like, before 7, after 9 o'clock, and so... Um, that's how it all worked out. And then dividing the space was really the crucial thing. That's why um, it's divided into sort of bar and bistro. I remember speaking to you about it at yeah. the time. Because I think that's so important. And so from, from the get-go, you're meeting um, clients' expectations. So if you book the bar dining, you kind of know it's a little bit more fun, a little bit louder, a bit more echoey. So if you're into that, that's fine. You know, the bistro... Less echoey, so Emerald will probably love it. Yeah, I remember yeah. you saying we yeah. want to look after yeah. the boomers and the people that don't yeah. want noisy restaurants. Yeah, but they still want, want to be part of it. To be part of it, too. Yeah. The, big, the big curtains really help. Like, it is yeah. acoustically, yeah. it feels like you've thought about it, mm. which is a rare decision. That's a whole other podcast, though. No, but like, even for us, like, dividing the bar area, we had like a we have a small curtain there as well because the bar area is divided into bar dining and sort of bar drinking area. That's probably where you were yeah. sat last time. And yeah. the reason why we had that curtain is because 
um, when you go out for drinks, you don't want to be surrounded by people eating because it destroys the sort of, um, I want a sort of, you know, low key drinking area and then everyone's like eating. It's, it's sort of like fast paced and you, you, you don't, feel like you're in their space. Yeah, exactly. So we wanted to divide it. And also it's just nice to have a space for people going out just for drinks to be welcome at seven o'clock and be like, yeah, we have a table for you. doesn't matter if we're doing dinner service. We have a table for you. You know, I was a- so excited to see your opening hours. Yeah. I think um, Auckland has been underserved by good spots that you can eat sort of after 9.30, yeah. after 10. Yeah. And um, it was cool to see Ghost Street is open until yeah. really late. You're open until really late. Interesting as a parent, like things I didn't really think about before, but there was a period of time where I was like, let's do dinner really early so we can yeah. like get home and get the baby to bed. Yeah. And now I'm like, let's go out at 8, 8.30 after the baby's yeah. down and the babysitter's there and then bugger off and have a nice relaxing yeah. night. So it's funny. Yeah. So Sophie, we know that your child sleeps really, really well. Yeah. Have you ever just nipped up to Andiamo and left her sleeping <laughs> on her own. So we used to live like directly opposite Andiamo yeah. and we had a lot of talks about how far the baby monitor would reach. Yeah. And I was like, if the baby monitor would reach that far, I reckon I'd do it. But then, and it didn't, but the um, there's a new phone app where you can, it does reach. And people problem. say in hotels, you can like go down to the hotel restaurant yeah. with the baby upstairs. And yeah. sometimes the hotel restaurant's like around the corner and yeah. down the stairs and whatever. People are doing it. Because so, a couple of times I've left the boys sleeping under the protection of the dog and dropped Millie up to the Titarangi village. So, you know, that's like a seven-minute round trip. Yeah. That feels like quite a long time. Yeah. Quite loose parenting. Yeah. Your dog's <laughs> really responsible. Yeah. Hey, so I'm looking through the three events that Cinderella is putting on yes. for Wellington on a plate, and basically I need to move to Wellington for the entire month of August. Yeah. Uh, on three Sundays, Sunday the 15th of August, so we'll be there. We could go to the Cinderella uh, and her lovely sisters collaboration with Lillian. It's sold out. Oh, we, well, you know, we're highly influential food podcasters. We'll <laughs> just, be at a, we'll just, we'll just tell up. them that that's yeah. part of our rider. Yeah. <laughs> and then on Sunday, August 22nd, uh, Cinderella and her lovely sister Ada is, uh, is collaborating um, with James. And then, of course... Um, on Sunday, August 29, Carlo and Bar Magda will be there uh, for their collaboration. So get in and get tickets because, as Sophie mentioned, shit's selling out really, yeah, really it quick. Yeah, it's quite hectic. You should mm. actually get on the website today. Book out, book your Airbnb for three weeks uh, <laughs> and just invest yourself in, in that city. And if you live in Wellington and you're listening, I'm just so jealous right now. Yeah, have fun, Wellingtonian. Yeah. Is that what you call yourselves? That is correct, yeah. Cool. So thank you so much for joining us, Carlo. Congratulations no, on thank you. Bar Huge Magda. congratulations. Yeah. You should be so proud oh, of no, yourself. Thank you so much. I bet you're exhausted, but honestly, no, the thing that stands out about your all your chat is the energy. Like no, you've just got so much energy for it. Yeah. And please get on to visawoapp.co.nz.com. I'm looking at dot it right com, now. Dot com. Uh, book your tickets. Join us on August 15, 3 to 5 p.m. Parrot Dog, Lyle Bay. You don't need a ticket for that. It's just free. Show up. Uh, you know, it's the, not reflective of the quality of the talent. Absolutely not. Absolutely we're, not. We're big believers in gifting ourselves to the people. Uh, we're really excited to see you all in person, and we will be talking to you again soon. Kakite. Kakite. Bye. See ya.
podcast manager at the spin-off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.